Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. This episode is brought to you in part by Noom. Forget one size fits all diets. With Noom, you get a personalized weight loss plan that's tailored to your lifestyle. No food is off limits. Enjoy your favorites while discovering healthier habits. Noom's users love the flexible approach, blending psychology and biology to help you lose weight in a way that's sustainable for you. And great news for foodies. Noom just released the Noom Kitchen Cookbook with 100 delicious, healthy recipes. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M. Com. Grab your copy of The Noom Kitchen wherever books are sold. Welcome back, Redheads, to another episode of the Redheads Book Club July edition. I am so excited to be here with my girlies. We haven't recorded in almost six weeks because last episode we recorded early and it dropped early in the month and now we're like June, July 6th and we have our next episode. So, hey everyone, how are my girls? Hey. How you <laughs> doing? We're doing good. How are you doing, Jax? I'm good. I'm excited to chat with you. I always miss the Redhead's fodder and I'm really excited to talk about this book, mm-hmm. which was a Becky's Choice. We read True Biz this month, which we will get into of course but before I need to know how my swirls are doing Bex how are you I feel like you've had such a big month so much has happened in this month because you went on your bachelorette party oh sure did oh right? my god it does feel like it's been so long since we discussed I like, don't even remember where we left off but yes my life is fully absorbed by this imminent wedding and we had our bachelorette our the group bachelorette in Key West which was so much fun I miss my girlies but it was a blast. Key West is lit. Um, and now I'm just like in a countdown. I'm getting married in less than two months. I'm deeply unwell. And Jackie, you have 1,000 pictures coming your way of potential rehearsal dinner outfits. So I truly can't wait to see. Be on guard. Um, but I'm wait. good. I'm just kind of like enjoying summer as much as I can, despite like a ton of planning. But I'm, you know, I love summer. I like being like you a do. weekend warrior. I run around town. I was in the Berkshires this weekend, going to the beach in a few weeks. It'll be great. Weekend warrior. That's what they call them. What's them? Like the people who are the like. weekend warriors. Yeah, who like in the summer. like Who are leave, working for the weekend. No, like leave Thursday night, like get back Sunday night. Like always not, you know what I mean? Like weekend warrior. Oh, I I didn't know that's what it meant. I just thought it was someone who's like living for the weekend. No, I'm not even living for the weekend. Like when we were talking about this weekend, it's a miracle that I'm in the city because I don't know when it's ever going to happen again. It's just like we're always out. Weekend warrior. Got it. Yeah. Well, so excited to be chatting with you. Snitch, how are you? I'm good. Why are you looking at me like that? I talk to you every day. (laughs) Because I'm trying to decide if you're a weekend warrior or not. Um... 
Uh, I think it like depends. Like I go through phases <laughs> of like weekend warrioring, but like I really don't have it in me to do it like all the time. The past two weekends I haven't been here, so like maybe the for those. But for the most part, I feel like I've like been here. Um, and I'm also going to be in the city this weekend, so like not weekend warrioring this weekend. I did go to the Hamptons for July Fourth weekend, which was really nice, and then I came back for my. Yellowstone trip, which was so gorgeous. Oh my right. god, Snitch, we haven't even debriefed about it. I know. Oh my god, it was so sick. Freezing, but sick. Um, yeah, you did say it was freezing, even though it looked like stunning. You yeah. you didn't dress like it was freezing. A you had bitch, on a cute I outfit. I was wearing sweatpants and two sweatshirts over it and then would take it off for the photo. Oh, understood. Like I, I feel like crazy for most. You of also it. didn't pack for how cold it was. Otherwise, you would have brought cuter, colder weather clothes and taken pictures in those clothes. Yeah, yeah, for sure. But like, that's so hard. And like, I'm not gonna lie. Like, we knew. Like, we checked the weather. We knew. Mm-hmm. We just chose to ignore and be like, "There's no way it's gonna be like 28 degrees in the morning in June in Montana." You know what? 28. Yeah, yeah people were like legitimately in their Canada gooses, oh and we were God, like Snitch. in our set active like sports bra and like yeah, that's like, that's what I saw. I saw uh-huh. set active sports bras, and I was like, "Snitch is dramatic." Like, it's probably 65 degrees, and it could be 80. I think the highest maybe was like 48, maybe 50. What? <laughs> Throughout oh, the whole trip. Snitch. I feel like you should have added like temperature stickers to your stories <laughs> because that really kind of like puts things in context. No, my world has been turned upside down. No, it was Yeah, crazy. I thought you were just like being a baby. Like it's 50 degrees and it's supposed to be 70 in the afternoon. No, we'd wake up and it was 28. Like sleeping was crazy. Like we were frigid. Oh, oh my God. God. Yeah, because you were in the tent. Yeah. Does it... Does it insulate you or were you freezing? Well, there is like, we each have like a fire, but like it didn't do what it needed to do. Mm. The fire wasn't firing. The fire wasn't firing. Also, also because you're supposed to like feed the fire every two hours. And I was like, bitch, like once I'm asleep, I am asleep. Like I'm not waking up every two hours to feed the fire. That sounds like a job for Ryan. Yeah, but he had his own (laughs) tent. So I don't know what the fuck he was doing. I'm sure he was feeding his fire. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. Now we get the real story, the behind the scenes. Because that's what you do on your podcast, the one podcast that you have. Right. I will. I'm tell, not going like, to lie to you, though. Like, I definitely, like, did give the behind the scenes, like, in my vlog in Yellowstone. But. Mm. Okay. That's okay. I it's, think that's fine. Most forms. It's, it's, like, visual or audio. Yeah. Whatever Some you prefer. People, like, yeah. I think that's fine. We'll take that. Well, Dana, how are you doing today? I'm great. Not much to report. Summer's definitely in full swing. Been doing a lot of beach weekends. Um, Josh, like, tore his calf muscle a few weekends ago, and my life has just revolved around, like, being nursed to that. And I can officially proclaim that he is 100% better. So, like, I'm now ready for my summer to really start. And that's just been what's, like, been my life for a while. But can't complain. And I think I'm most excited to get into the first book news that we have, Jax. Care to oh, take it away? Yeah. Oh, my God. Thank oh, you for reminding me because I actually might have, like, if I didn't look at the outline, I might skip this section. But, yeah, I guess this is, like, synergy between catching up with me and the book news section, which is that I announced this month that I have written a children's book. It comes out 
in October, October 10th, 2023. So in just a few months, it's called The Camper and the Counselor, and it is available for pre-order now. I talked a lot about it on The Toast, and it's been on my Instagram. You can get it on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Indie Books, uh, Indie Bound, Books A Million, Target, Walmart, wherever you like to get your books, you can pre-order it. And it is such a great book. I'm actually excited to be talking about it on the Redheads one because this is a book-loving community. And I'm sure there's a lot of book-loving mamas who like to read to their kids. And it is my favorite book to read to Harry. And obviously I'm biased. But I also like wrote the book that I wanted to read to him because I love rhyming books. I love books with like a lot of colors and a really great story with a wholesome message. Like it doesn't need to be like a crazy like deep message about like what happens when you die like just some of these books that I read to him I'm like what was the message but Camber and Counselor has a great message for kids of all ages and it's inspired by one of the hosts of this podcast Counselor Snitch herself that's me Counselor how do you feel about being a muse I feel really really honored and mm. I'm in disbelief that you know, Camp Toast really brought this book into our lives. Yeah, like the chain of events that occurred for, for this, this book, book to, to be happen. here are just so random. No, literally couldn't be more random. <laughs> and it, like, what if you came in that morning wearing a different outfit? What was I wearing? You were just like wearing shorts and a t-shirt and like just the way you were carrying yourself was like major counselor energy. I had like energy. a fanny pack. I think you had a fanny pack. You probably had a whistle. Like, you were just, like, giving off counselor vibes. But what if you, like, came in that morning? Looking like thought. Right. Right. It would just be, like, the thought and the thought. The thought and the trot. Yeah. (laughs) Literally. So true. So, anyways, I'm really excited about that. If you haven't already, please pre-order my book because it really helps with knowing, like, how many books to order, sales, placement, etc. It's all about the pre-orders. So you can check it out anywhere you like to pre-order your books, October 10th. I will continue to remind you until the book is here. And, of course, we're going to do a little Redheads episode about it when oh, yeah, the time comes. We, should we do must. Like a live reading or something. Like. 100%. We'll do, like, a mini episode where we talk about, like, some DBQs. Bonus episode. Hollywood treatment. Bonus episode. Exactly. Hollywood <laughs> treatment. Like, hi. Well, who would you want to play you, Snitch? I'm an actress now. Did you not see my Harmless Harvest Instagram reel? Snitch, you look pretty snatched on the cover. Yeah, I do. That's so true. <laughs> I guess the snitch could play herself. But Claudia and I were talking about this on the Toast Patreon, like who we would want to play you. Obviously, the camper needs to be like an undiscovered, unknown. Cutest human queen, alive. Yeah. Cutest human alive. Like she doesn't exist yet in <laughs> She's Hollywood. not born yet. Right. But I think for snitch, like we were getting like Madeline Klein vibes but then we were also kind of like, that's like bad counselor, you know? Like counselor, like going out. Like she's a little she's too. She's wholesome counselor. Yeah. The book is wholesome counselor. And I was thinking actually Christine Frosseth. Oh, yeah. But like, she's just kidding. You want it to be you? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I'll put in a word. You put in Jackson, a word. This is incredible. Thank you. I'm really, really excited. I've been working on it for so long. So just to be able to share it with everyone and like have everyone be as excited as I've been for the last year and a half is very exciting for me. Like not be working, you know, as the kids say, in a silo. That's what you guys say in your offices, right? Yes. All the time. Also, we love it when the reader becomes the author. I know. It's a real role reversal. 
Yeah. So that's what's new with me. That's what's new in the book world. And I feel excited to get into this month's book. Is it time? I think it's, we could. It is time. Do it. Don't forget the summary. I will not. <laughs> so this month we read True Biz by Sarah Novick. It was a Becky's choice. And it was our first book that was chosen by AI because Becky put into Bard, which is an AI platform by Google. She told them what other books that she has liked, like Crawdad's Vibes, like kind of like novel drama vibes. Correct. If I say vibes again, like just <laughs> kick me off the podcast. <laughs> um, and they recommended True Biz. It also was a Reese's Book Club choice, which I just realized. So I'm sure a lot of people are reading it right now as New York Times bestseller. The premise is it is set at a boarding school for the deaf called River Valley um, School for the Deaf, I think, as RVSD. Um, and we're centering around three different characters. We have Charlie, who is a student at River Valley. It's her first year. She came from um, mainstream schools. She has a cochlear implant, which is the implant, um, the newest technology in like de- in hearing aids, uh, where it's implanted into the back of your head. I, all of this was really new learnings for me, and we'll get into all of that. But she has a cochlear implant. She went to mainstream school up until this point. She never learned ASL because doctors told her parents it would be a hindrance to her learning uh speaking words in English so she's had a, a a hard time like processing language and understanding herself and her community and so she's showing up to RVSD like needing some help and really looking for a community and she finds that there then we have February who's the mistress the headmistress of the school she is hearing but her parents were deaf so she's very fluent in ASL and in all of the different hardships that come with being a deaf person so she's actually a really great headmistress she's married they live on campus but she's struggling the whole time because the school is going to be closed the district is closing the school they're pulling funding then we have Austin who's also a student at RVSD who's kind of the opposite of Charlie because he grew up in a deaf household he's known ASL and learned it like since he was a baby he does not have an implant and he is just very immersed in the deaf world he's kind of just like a celebrity in the deaf community and him and Charlie spark up a romance which is really cute they help each other along the way and you really see like the differences between them and the different approaches towards parenting deaf children and there were a lot of different like messages and takeaways throughout the book but I think for a lot of us what we took away was just the complexities of the the deaf community um experiences in a lot of different ways from like medical treatments the implant ASL uh the history of deaf community like the different things that people are trying to put forth and trying to like eradicate deafness almost which is offensive to members of the deaf community so it was it was eye-opening honestly um at the end of the day so as much as the book was plot driven for me it felt more so like a just a commentary on the state of like the deaf community and so I guess the school is almost closing people slowly start to find out Charlie and Austin are like in a relationship but they also um she's also hooking up with like some guy from her old high school he's like a super senior from her old high school and he's into anarchy and like amateur terrorism um (laughs) and burglary and she like hangs out with him sometimes then her and Austin like decide that they're gonna stick it to the man and blow up the factory for the implant 
center because oh charlie's implant has been malfunctioning throughout the whole book we learn Mm -hmm. a lot about like what she's been going through and and what some of the implant companies have known but aren't advertising um that their products are defective so a lot of this is rooted in like true things that have happened and at the end of the book it's unclear what's going to happen and I read the author's note and she was like I wanted the book to be open-ended because now what happens is it's up to you the reader like what's going to happen to the deaf community will these schools get funding will they get more support like will people advocate for um the deaf community so we don't know if the school closes we'll kind of talk about the ending as we talk about the book but that's what the book was about well done Thank you. I feel like this is reminding me of when we did Ghosts of Gotham and I did I the recap and I was like thinking that. <laughs> so pregnant also and I could not catch my breath doing the summary. We were like, so do you funny. need some water? We we're like, do you need help? Yeah. Like we can we read the book too. Like we can do it as well. You know what? Maybe next month someone else will do the summary because I'm well, well, next pigeon. month. Next month you're no, you're not gonna be able to do it. No. <laughs> Oh my gosh. It's actually such a good point, Jax. You're like bumping up right against timelines. Oh yeah. I mean, timelines are good. But we could always like read the book sooner and do, but regardless, next time someone else is doing something. (laughs) He's like, that is painful for me and I'm sure painful to listen to. Dana, you will be doing the summary. Oh, I love that. I'm happy to cover. I will pinch hit. Okay, so we're going to get into all the questions and everything that we learned from the book. But first, I want to know overall thoughts. Like, did you guys like it? Rebecca, let's start with you because it was a Becky's choice. I love the book, honestly. I thought it was an interesting enough story, but wove any wove in so many facts, which is my favorite way to learn and read, honestly. Um, it was basically like similar to nonfiction with the bonus of team drama. So that was always kind of like in- entertaining. Um And my eyes were really opened to this community and this topic and this world of people that I formerly didn't know a lot about. I also recognized how many misconceptions that I had, and it was helpful to learn more and clarify some of those. Specifically, I appreciated unpacking the topic of implanting members of the deaf community. It really shifted my understanding of so many people who like embody their deafness as a central part of their identity versus seeing it as a disability. I thought that was like such a a shift in mindset for me. Um, I also learning, loved learning about the different deaf families and what each child was experiencing at home, um, either with a hearing family or uh, deaf family members um, and like kind of like the genetic component of deafness Um, So that, to me, felt like a really clever way to arm readers with even more information about the non-hearing world. And I loved the setting of the story at the boarding school. I would say that my only drawback was the ending, but Jackie, hearing more about the author's note, which, like, admittedly I didn't finish – about how it's there like were like a, there were a few authors there was a notes, few actually. yeah no so I kind of like stopped at some point <laughs> but I guess I missed the part where like it's open-ended purposefully which is fascinating because I was gonna say my drawback was the ending I wanted to know what happened with River Valley and with these students um it felt a little abrupt but it didn't deter me from feeling like I got so much out of the story so I o- overall loved it Great. I'm so glad to hear it. Dana, what did you think? 
I actually really liked this book. I found it extremely informative. I've like consumed a good amount of media about the deaf community actually. Like I love that Netflix show Deaf You. If you guys haven't watched, you should. It's amazing. Um, Coda is one of the best movies. Sound of Metal is like my top five favorite movies ever. So I just had never read a book about it and I was so happy to like diversify my intake of the deaf community because it only reinforced that like I am extremely interested in learning more and this was such like a rounded perspective on it I liked the writing style I thought it was super well written what I didn't like about the book is at times I felt like it was trying to be like too many things at once I was like is this a budding love story between Austin and Charlie is this a guide to the deaf alphabet is this a political statement on terrorism and the revolution is this an instruction manual on like deaf culture and at one point I thought it maybe was like cool to have such an amalgamation of all of those factors but in the end I kind of was over it and I pick why I wanted the author to pick Elaine preferably the love story between Austin and Charlie like I wish we kind of got more of that I felt like it was so spaced out between like all of their flirtations and interactions um and I also felt like there were a few plot holes like I thought Gabriella was going to be in this love triangle pure focused on most of the time after she grabbed Charlie's ponytail and like ran away never really heard about her again besides when she like made out with that guy in front of Austin um, I thought, and like, when she posted to her YouTube channel, like, oh yeah, <laughs> some like fear mongering. Yes, yes. I was like, what's the point of Gabriella if not to like focus more heavily on this? Um, February's flirtation with Wanda. I thought that was going somewhere, and it never really did. And I also like felt really bad for February's wife, Mel. I was like, justice for her. She is so caring and doting, and like she's just gonna mess it up because she felt one spark of happiness with Wanda during her grief period, and is gonna like miscalculate that as her not loving her wife, like that plot hole annoyed me but overall like I cannot resist a book that takes place in a boarding school with teenage students that is my soft spot so I love that it. that's so funny I feel like that's where like you and snitch cross over yes yeah. yes I, I love, love a, a boarding school is just a great setting for yes, everything totally. um but I totally agree <laughs> snitch what did you think um Okay, so here's the thing. is like it had all the makings for it to be a book that I would enjoy. And, like, I didn't, like, hate it. Like, I wasn't, like, picking it up, dreading it. When I put the book down, I was never itching to pick it up. But, like, when I had to read it, it was fine. The only thing I'll say is I do think it was, like, super informative. Like, I literally didn't know anything really about the deaf community whatsoever. Is that had this book didn't – if this book did not have the element of the deaf community and all that there was to learn about it, it would be a horrendous book. Oh, for sure. It wouldn't be a book then because like – No, okay, but like even like the kid at school. Between the kids, like it was not yeah. good. I agree with that. Yeah. Yeah. And I think the real meat of the book is just learning about um, the deaf community and also this author's particular stance on certain things. Like um, I guess I'll go into what I thought, which was that I really, really liked it. I learned so much and I was just so fascinated by so many different – pieces of the book like one I know that it's probably was a controversial not controversial but not maybe not everyone liked in between chapters there being like sign language lessons or history lessons and just like wikipedia definitions of anarchy um and sometimes I wasn't into it but like the times that I was especially in the beginning like learning about ASL and I never realized the difference between like fingerspelling and then the words like you would only fingerspell for like pronouns and then um 
you have signs for all of the words and then also how like your shoulders your facial expressions your head tilting how like all of it goes into asl and reading it spelled out like i i really under i felt like i really understood so many of the mechanics and then that helped me throughout the book understand like i felt like the author did a really good job of spelling out those things especially when you're describing someone signing and we're it's a lot to process and it's a lot to for the author to like make sure that we can understand and and i i thought that was really really cool so i from what i learned from the book like my takeaways that outweighs the kind of lackluster plot or things that didn't add up the only thing for me and I also learned there's obviously all of these different opinions within the deaf community about like what's best for the deaf community like the future of the deaf community like where the medical um treatments and like there's a lot of discussion around it and there's clearly two different sides and this author was very um I would say strong in her opinions and it's clear that she had her thoughts and her agenda and I, I I thought she made like fire points my only thing is I wish I I knew what the other side of the argument is because I do feel like from what I've seen in just like culture there are a lot of people who have the cochlear implant who do really well with it and it's amazing revolutionary technology and I feel like there was that wasn't ever acknowledged it almost was just like as if every cochlear implant like was defunct and they didn't tell anyone where when I read the author's note she was saying how she had seen like a small article about how one implant manufacturer had to do like a recall and they didn't even do it at first they waited for patients to come forward and they continued to like implant bad implants into patients and that kind of became the seed of the idea for the book but like I feel like she didn't do a great job of of showing the other side of the argument why people are for the implant um and I would have liked to just understand like the whole realm of the discussion I I understand this author's POV and as I said like I think she made really good points and backed them up really well but there's clearly another side and I just don't think that we got that yeah that's a good point good point but I really really liked it and I'm excited to get into the DBQs because there was well not only was there a book club guide at the end but throughout the book they were posing questions like the whole time really interesting questions about like ethics and um it was just like nice to it was cool to like read a book and then also have to take the time to like process what you've just read I don't want to do it for every book that I read but I really enjoyed it for this book Mm -hmm. yeah Okay, well, today's episode of The Redheads is brought to you by Virtual Book Tour. Virtual Book Tour is Book of the Month's podcast, which is available now to listen on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. They feature a series of conversations between Book of the Month's editorial team and Book of the Month featured authors. Actually, True Biz is a Book of the Month book, so that is a great place to go, Virtual Book Tour, to learn more about True Biz after you listen to The Redheads, of course. On VBT, listeners can learn more about their BOTM picks and the fantastic authors who write them. They're out to get to answer hard-hitting questions like, why are we all so obsessed with murder? So true. Anyway, past authors include um, the author of Hester, which was a Redheads book, Lori Leakle Albanese, we love her. They'll sit down and talk to the authors that you read, and you can get even more answers or behind-the-scenes information about the book that you read. So... 
If you want to check out Virtual Book Tour, check it out on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. It is a great book club podcast. If you're listening to the Redheads right now, you obviously love book club. You obviously love podcasts. I know so many of you are Book of the Month members and so many of the Redheads choices have been Book of the Month choices. There's so much synergy. So that is just a no-brainer. Listen to Virtual Book Tour available on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Our first question So if you are part of the hearing community, which the four of us are, how much did you know about the deaf community and culture prior to reading this novel? What are some key aspects that you learned? So I mentioned the movies. I really encourage all of you to to watch Sound of Metal. It was incredible. But this was the first time, as you said, Jax, that I really learned about the cochlear implants. Like I knew absolutely nothing about them. I would have just assumed if you had one, it was like a hearing aid and you could hear perfectly, just like a little lower than most perhaps. So I think that was the part of this book that was the most novel to me of just like the whole industry and process behind the implants. And to build on that point, I had a misconception that if you were eligible for an implant, like if you had like enough hearing that it would make a profound difference that like you 1000% did it obviously like not considering financial situations but it was so interesting to learn that like even if certain people were eligible for an implant that it was like not necessarily a given that they would want to take advantage like take that on so I was like oh there's so much more to this story than just like of course I'm going to have this implant and like it could potentially give me the potential to hear because like that would change my life and I would no longer be like disabled. It was not that at all. Yeah. Snitch, what did you know and what did you learn? Um, I really didn't know anything. Like honestly, the only things that I really knew, like in terms of like an implant, Jackie, I feel like we spoke about this, is Abigail from The Bachelor Mm -hmm. has a cochlear implant and but I didn't even know what that meant when she said it. Like I I still didn't like know anything. Yeah, I didn't know anything either. And then actually I happened to be on her Instagram right when I started this book. And I don't know if I – no, I, I – it was a total coincidence. She was just like on a girl's trip. So I just checked her Instagram to see if she was still dating that guy from Bachelor in Paradise. And in her bio it said, like, I have a cochlear implant. And then I remembered her from The Bachelor how she is deaf. And that's like when she met Matt, she said that she was deaf. But mm-hmm. that she really – like, she was um really – spoke really and heard everything like it it never became like a barrier in the show so I was like wow the cochlear implant and this was really the first time I ever heard of it um I was like wow what an amazing tool and then I finished the book and I'm like but what about people who have had success with it that's where I was kind of like confused I think I learned so much about just like ASL in general but also the fact that like people are trying to suppress ASL that if you have an implant that you shouldn't learn ASL because it will like it's a crutch and and you won't want to learn English speaking English and I thought that was really sad and um obviously not the best course of action especially for someone like Charlie like I do feel like like most things like you know there's somewhere in the middle where people could be um but I'm sure there are also doctors who have very like clear research as to why a like you know doing the implant without ASL leads to better outcomes so but without all that information it really is hard to make a judgment so I'm just like 
interesting factoids. I appreciate learning them. I thought it was super enlightening when she described it similar to how we would never think learning Spanish and English as a baby would Mm -hmm. hinder our future development. And that's the same concept with ASL. It's only additive to have another language under your belt. And I never thought of it that way. Like ASL is a similar language to English and also completely different. Totally. Also something else that I learned, which isn't specific to the deaf community, but that like between the ages of one and five are like prime language learning ages. And if you don't learn a a language by the age of five, how you're like uh, communication deficient and how that can cause like really a lot of mental difficulties, like not being able to communicate with anyone, your family, your peers, yourself, not being able to process emotions or have like words for how you're feeling. I never thought about like how important that is yeah and especially as like you know having babies now and stuff like it just was a really interesting fact about the brain yeah that I didn't know agreed and I like the part when February said I've seen lost causes and you're not one of them like there's still Mm -hmm. hope if you have some language and it would be really and like how that it can't be studied that prolifically because no one's gonna refrain their child from language if right. they can it's like right. how no you don't one would know. put anyone yeah. in, the, in that group intentionally totally right it's like you don't like, really you can't really test this because it's cruel <laughs> correct right right so that was interesting i thought yeah there were just like a lot of nuggets like that throughout the book and especially about um deaf history also like the segregation of deaf schools which i never yeah. knew about, never thought about and then how like asl developed differently in white schools versus black schools and they're like almost at certain points they have different signs for different words and that's also a point of contention within the community like i didn't know any of that a thousand percent and they found it, it really fascinating the different dialects it's so fascinating I also found it interesting, like, how certain people, depending on how they are immersed in the deaf community, how they grow up perceiving it. Like, Charlie, for example, when she thought that she would grow up to be a hearing adult because she's like, I never met a deaf adult in my life. Like, I just assumed that, like, I would grow into this. Yeah, that was a good line. But what's so crazy is actually as you get older, you lose your hearing. Yeah. You know? Okay, next question. Why was True Biz the right title for this book? So True Biz, they equated with real talk. Like, that's the translation. And in the school, if you said True Biz, a.k.a. you were about to tell February the reason behind your outburst, then she would go easier on you. And I liked it. I thought that was, like, a cute little. I did, too. It was, like, one of the only things I liked. (laughs) <laughs> it was a cute bit and I actually feel like it was a good title for the book because it's obviously like a term within the community but also I feel like this book was a bit of real talk about the deaf community like she wasn't yeah um, she wasn't like saying any like making it easy you know putting a happy face on some things that no. are not happy yeah and you're not going to really mince words when you're signing because you're going to get directly to the point so like real talk is also fitting and ironic as they can't talk the same way that hearing people can so I thought it was a nice little play yeah however if I felt like it was like just like interspersed in like all of a sudden it was coming up yeah but I didn't know what it meant really so I was like wait did I miss something like that happened a few times where I was like I feel like I missed something I feel like you missed something then because they explain true biz like they put the definition in one of the glossary things mm. but if you didn't realize it was like the definition for true biz and that's the name of the book then when it came up you might have been confused oh 
But there I was an early, that. early drop of true biz before they like painstakingly explained what it meant that I was like, oh, like, like you could kind of get it from context clues. But then when they explained it, I was like, oh, yeah, it was a, it was a journey. Yes. To understanding. <laughs> but yeah, no, there were a few times where it's like they explained something pretty quickly. And then later in the book, um, kind of just like jump, like I, I was saying to Margo, like, the, uh, Austin's dad is an interpreter and sometimes they'll talk about the interpreter and then sometimes they say Henry and you don't realize until midway through the book that like it's the same guy and that Henry's the interpreter and then later they said Henry's a terp and mm. I guess that's just like a, a nickname for an interpreter within uh. the community and I would only like I just had to like put it together Henry being the common denominator but they never said that like terp is slang for interpreter yeah yeah so stuff like that so it was it was cool to like put, put stuff together though and feel like you were getting it i was wondering when they were going to make the connection that the interpreter was austin's dad after she kept seeing him in the hospital I'm like can they figure this out yet not that anything came of their discovery but i was like it's time oh i had no clue i had no clue <laughs> what oh well no he was like clue. sorry i have a newborn at home when he had milk on his tie the first time she met him nope nope <laughs> and i didn't know that at the meeting i didn't think we were supposed to know but like the interpreter yeah. Henry from the meeting when February said he has a son in the school. Nope. And we also knew nope. that yeah. Austin's dad is an interpreter because that's how he met Austin's mom. Nope. There's like one interpreter <laughs> in the whole book and it never occurred to me the entire time that it's the same guy. That's yeah. So and also like, I, when he did tell him, I was like, wait, how do you know? And then like I put that. <laughs> I'm dying. I guess I wouldn't have known if not for the baby milk on the tie. But the second they said that, I was like, oh. <laughs> Everyone has babies. <laughs> Yeah, totally. Yeah. Like one thousand percent. That is like so a funny. Sweet anecdote. So, which of the three main characters—Austin, Charlie, and February—who did you most identify with, or whose storyline did you enjoy the most? Which character did you enjoy the most? I don't think I identified with any of them, but I, I enjoyed Austin's the most. Hmm. I kind of liked how February was hearing born, like, Coda, born to deaf adults, and used that power to then, like, do the most good in the community to start a school, etc. She was the only real, like, hearing person in the book besides Charlie's parents, who I didn't love. Hey. So, <laughs> so maybe February. Mm, not That's a no for me, dog. I was definitely more of like a charlie actually wow. i'm more of a february actually there were parts of her storyline that i didn't love like the arguing with her wife and like the kind of the stuff going on at home for her also like the but, wanda of it all was just like it felt like an unnecessary like, it just road. didn't go anywhere exactly. if there was gonna be like a resolution where she left mail right. or like something more dramatic happened but to just be a foil for like weird arguments that had no ending i was like what's the point of this yeah but I felt like when it came to school stuff and the kids, like, she had a really good take on everything and a really good POV, and I felt like I could relate to her as an adult yes. more than I could relate to Charlie and Austin, who were um, who were kids and, like, felt, like saw things only through their own specific prism, where it felt like February was really trying to think of everyone. Yes. Agreed. Next. The conversation around cochlear implants can get thorny quickly, which the author illustrates throughout the novel, with lines like, quote, she's read about parents deemed negligent for opting against surgery, and, quote, isolation was a requirement of the implant her doctors cautioned. For Charlie, a defective device and poor instruction from doctors and parents led to oral failure and a host of other issues. 
For other deaf children, the procedure is so prohibitively expensive, it isn't even a consideration. Discuss the pros and cons of cochlear implants and the ethical considerations for parents, medical professionals, and device manufacturing companies. So I want to hear what everyone thinks about this, but my initial thought is like, I feel like I can't discuss the pros and cons because I don't know enough of the pros even and all of the different arguments. And that was where I kind of just got stuck with this book a couple times. But what did you guys think? Going strictly off the movies I've seen about the deaf community, one thread throughout all of them did seem to be that the deaf people preferred to not have implants and would opt for silence over the terrible noise that like sometimes comes with it since it's, I don't think that akin to like natural hearing. So if I were to just go based off of that, like I kind of am all for ASL only, like no fake hearing, just like dive directly into lip reading and like signing that's so interesting see more learnings you guys gotta watch deaf you it's so good it's a show yes oh yeah i feel like i remember seeing that show what is it about a deaf school it's a reality show and follows deaf people who go to gallaudet which is a deaf college yeah yeah and there's like drama it's like watching literally any other reality show like the things that go down there but it's so good and do they have implants, the main characters, or they you sign? They mostly signed. There were varying degrees of hearing levels, but it, it's all sign language in the in the show. Cool. I would hope that there's just like options or yeah. education around the decision. I I feel like what I learned, Jackie, to your point, like it was so exceedingly like this could be a huge detriment and it could be deemed as like not embracing your deafness and that was like an interesting part to me that like it felt like it felt like a lot of members of the deaf community deemed getting implanted as like oh like you you aren't like embracing this component of who you are like Mm -hmm. how like we all just have different traits. That's what makes us unique. This is one of our defining traits. And, like, don't see being deaf as a disability. But, like, on the flip, like, there is, like, I was thinking about, like, when February saw them, like, carrying, like, the crock pots. And, like, she was, like, like, they were, like, about to, like, blow something up. And she was, like, approaching them. And she, like, couldn't call out to them. And she was, like, oh, my God. Like, if they, like, see me coming up, like, they could totally like, attack me. Like, we're in a dangerous part. Like, I'm like, there are reasons why you would want to enable some hearing, you know? Like, it's not only, like, mm-hmm. ASL. It's not, like, it solves everything. So I'm like, I don't know. Yeah. There's so there's so many sides. I agree, that. but they seem to be very defensive of that in the book. Like, even the alarms are like, we've solved this with a vibration bed. Like, right, the phone. Right. Like, we've video solved phone. this with the video phone. Like, it felt like anytime someone wanted to promote the benefits of hearing the author was quick to shut it down and I agree with you Jackie in the beginning how like I would like to hear another perspective from the community of how they feel about hearing yeah yeah those are all very true points I yeah I would just I would just want to know more and have more information and also like what are the how long has the implant been in circulation like what are long-term effects like over over under kids whose parents made them get it. are they happy that they got it are they not happy that they got it yeah but I could also imagine like being a, a hearing parent having a deaf child 
and you take advice from your doctors who are being like heavily pushed this machine by big pharma and like you think that that's the right thing to do you think you're giving your kid every single chance and even though charlie's mom was the woat and like she was unnecessarily hard on charlie like i think that one chapter where they gave her pov i think when charlie was born like her intentions were pure her intentions were pure i think over the years her not listening to her own child whatsoever and like seeing her child in pain and like yeah and also all her child was asking was just like do nothing yeah you know like it's not like she's asking for medical intervention she's just asking to like not do anything which i don't think is a radical thing to do no that's what bothered me the absolute most like in the, when we saw her chapter, like, I was like, okay, that makes sense. Like, sure, you're listening to doctors, you're going to do whatever. But when she's like, it hasn't been working for the 15 years of her life. And then it electrocuted her. It, it like, lived poison like, into her like, brain. What are you, like, what, what aren't you getting? What aren't you getting? No, think, you don't, like, the, when she got to the point of like, well, we'll talk about putting it on the other side. Like, oh, I was so lost. Mad. Goodbye, goodbye, gone. I think another interesting point is that. I believe are supposed to decide whether or not to get implanted like when you're in an infant stage like it's like before these children have an opportunity to say whether or not they want this implant so it's like someone deciding on your behalf which is like just also a dicey topic of conversation and an interesting anecdote like Charlie didn't have a say yeah but like also an infant doesn't have a say like you can't like not gonna leave medical decisions to infants and children either so it's a really hard place to be in and are you from what you guys have seen like can you not get it after a certain age or is it just like not effective because yeah I don't know that's a good question I could see it being way more effective when like you're developing like your senses when you're in an infant stage yeah it sounded like for Austin's hearing sister which I thought was actually the most interesting part of the whole book that debate the, it made it seem like she the earlier she got it, the better it would be. Interesting. Yeah, that was a very interesting twist in the book. Next, how would Charlie's upbringing have been different if she could have also learned ASL? Like it sounds as if it would only have benefited her, but I don't know if she stayed in that school with all hearing people, maybe it wouldn't have been so additive. But if she had a combination, well, first of all, she was going to ASL classes, she would have automatically met other deaf people, which would have been good for her. And if even one of her parents picked up like a rudimentary amount, like I think that would have been good for also her relationship with her parents. I think having more language and more tools is never going to be a bad thing. And I think even if she had a few ASL lessons, like she would have learned that like there's a community here of people and there are other people who are like thinking and feeling the way that I do. And on the like that mental and emotional level she wouldn't have had those maybe tantrums where she felt so misunderstood and like couldn't articulate it and so you just yeah scream 1000 percent. like you could see that like once she was in an environment that was conducive to her functioning she was like such a like stable contributor to her class and her society like she didn't want to be out like acting out she just was so isolated in her own world that how could you possibly not yeah she was when she mentioned that the only person she would talk to some days was like her doctor or or, like speech therapist like that is like no way to live your life when you're a a kid yeah yeah I think it would have only been additive okay and maybe if she had ASL it would have like slowed down her learning English but like I think she still would have maybe it not like the rate that they want but like Listen, everyone it runs their own race. 
Amen, sister. Next, the author shows, shows so many varied examples of deaf families and childhoods, from Charlie's ambivalent parents to Austin's celebrated generations of deaf folks, to Kayla's experience code-switching from black ASL to ASL, to the horrifying abuse Elliot suffers at his mother's church. Compare and contrast the experiences each student had growing up and how those experiences helped mold them into the young adults they've become. It was super interesting how Charlie kept hoping that at the deaf school it would be a safe haven and then was repeatedly reminded that just because it's a microcosm of the rest of the world doesn't mean things like racism and bigotry and judgmental people didn't exist. So, like, it's everywhere. I don't know if that's a good or bad thing, but it doesn't discriminate across groups. And I am just still stuck on Austin's sister. Like, that was so interesting to me that generations of deaf pride were immediately uprooted by a hearing daughter and mostly the dad's reaction to it and, like, how Austin and his mom had to respond. Because, like, you have a little sympathy for the dad that he would benefit from having a daughter who could hear him and he could sing songs to, etc. But I also understood why Austin would be feel slighted by sentences like she's perfect and such like dismay at the prospect of her losing her hearing and I thought that was a very interesting dynamic yeah I agree I I felt like the juxtaposition between Austin and Charlie for me was the most interesting because in so many ways Charlie was disadvantaged by her upbringing where she was like totally isolated and the only deaf person she knew and Austin was the complete opposite but I felt like it almost better prepared Charlie for the real world and Austin kind of was in this bubble which was so nice that he never had to yeah experience those hard things but I was kind of waiting for a moment in the book where he would realize that like when they went out with Slash and stuff I was like wait Austin like is he's too like precious like he's never been outside his own bubble like these are hardcore people and I I, I liked Slash's character because I also liked how kind he was to Charlie and considerate about like uh, all of her hearing um, disabilities and always was like in check with her but I felt like there was going to be a moment where it became clear that even though Charlie had suffered more like she was just like more prepared for the world which at some point everyone has to enter and how maybe like Austin being in his bubble this whole time like has its disadvantages but that never happened like even when they went out with Slash and the gang like he was running with the best of them yeah that's a really good point I didn't know if that was unrealistic or I think it was also just the author like proving like you can uh be fully only ASL like not have an implant and and function and be a part of everyday life totally fine yeah a thousand percent I just appreciated the varying angles of like another side of the deaf community seeing all of their families and how they interact with them and like how these children were molded by how they were brought up in like a hearing versus non-hearing setting um I just felt like it was like such a layered way to engage your readers with even more insight about this community. Also, even like such small things like those apps the kids were downloading for Charlie and like the video phone and like all of these different tools that aren't even the big tools like ASL and implants that are just like small ways of communicating and making life easier that she had no idea about. It was just like it just made me sad for like all of the years that she spent totally isolated when all of these things were available to her yes thousand percent well said next question how does true biz explore the ways the deaf the experiences of deaf 
children, teens, adults, and elderly people differ. There seemed to be a reoccurring theme how most deaf people are children of hearing parents and the worry that they would eventually go extinct if, like, the genes get stamped out. And I found that interesting. To your point, Rid, of how she was like, I never knew there were such things as deaf adults. Like, that was something I had never explored before. Yeah, but I think she also, at least it felt this way, like, for children and deaf teens like it's harder to like because you're you're trying to like understand yourself understand the world like that takes processing I feel like by the time you're an adult or even an elderly person like you're more I don't know like it's 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 not easier but I guess that's like with everything with age you're just like more comfortable with who you are and it's it's not like you know being in the middle school and being different and being other and like feeling like that's the hardest thing yeah it felt like the elderly people who were deaf were like happier to be deaf if that makes sense like they didn't really see it as like a hurdle anymore but maybe that's obviously because they got so used to it whereas obviously, I also feel like for a lot of hearing people when they become elderly they lose their hearing so so if anything deaf elderly people are at an advantage because they have language with ASL yeah yeah ironically the Ironically, the elderly people would always make comments in the book how there was such an advancement of technology, and in their days, they had these huge clunky things, but it was almost contributing to their happiness, the lack of technology that they had going up, because there was no choice to be made. Like, they were just deaf. They didn't have to decide to put in an implant or hear this way, and and it seemed like that was one of the sources of their contentedness that the younger generation didn't have. Yes, but I also think a common theme just to say is like historically people trying to cure deafness so even you know the mercury in the ear or the oils or the sterilization Mm -hmm. and maybe and I mean it's I feel like as just in general humans like we always look back at the past and we're like wow that was barbaric and it's like now like human beings are the same so like in a hundred years they're gonna look back at us and be like wow that was barbaric and is like is it the implant that's barbaric like we're still trying to technically cure deafness yeah so I just think it's um kind of just repeats itself it just takes on a different form yeah yeah and every generation in the moment thinks that they're the ones who've Uh solved it like they used to do lobotomies and think that they were like really helping people's mental health yeah (laughs) that part was crazy Elliot right so sad so sad and I feel like his even his experiences like he grew up deaf and and in a family that accepted him like his dad was doing the map with him and his mom was on the same page too and then like when he lost his dad then his mom like became really into trying to heal him and he had like a a journey that was like half charlie half austin yeah yeah Yeah. so she really covered the gamut yep february is hearing but is headmistress of a deaf school did you have any concerns about this? Why or why not? This is a really great question. It's actually a really great point because even though, like, I love her and she's, like, a champion for deaf kids and all that, like, it's just, like, of course, like, the one in charge isn't even one of us. Well, well it I... harked back to that deaf presidents now yes, thing yes. that they had put in there, whereas, like, a deaf university and they finally wanted a deaf president. And as I'm reading yeah. it, I'm like, yeah, that makes sense. But as I'm reading this book, I'm like – February was an amazing headmistress for the school, yeah, and I have no, no issue with course. her being hearing. Of course. But, like, there, who's to say that there couldn't have been a deaf, amazing headmistress at the school? No. I'm sure there could have. I'm sure there could have been a different, amazing hearing mistress. Right. But I think she was the right person for the job. Yeah. 
I do too. I honestly didn't even think about it because I never like questioned her ability to lead and commitment and like integrity for the role. But it's such a good point. Um, But I don't necessarily think it's required. I did see the irony in her teaching deaf president now, though. Like, girl, do you see that this is your role? (laughs) I didn't see it until this question was in the book club guide. I didn't see it either. I'm like, so it's not so everything has to be one way. But um, she was I thought she was like the best headmistress for the school. She like really had she was so well intentioned. She really knew how to like communicate with the children as even just as teenagers not even hearing versus non-hearing just like teenagers are hard and she had like so many great tools for like helping them regulate their emotions while also in the larger context of being deaf yeah my only problem with february as a leader was that she took seven thousand months to tell her wife that the school was closing i didn't like her really in a relationship but i liked her as a headmistress but i I could not stand how she treated mel I agree with that. In her personal life, as I said, no thanks. Could skip those chapters. Speaking of February, what kind of responsibility did February have growing up as the child of deaf parents? How are her childhood experiences similar to those of children of immigrants? Ooh, thought-provoking. I had never made that parallel, but very similar of parents who can't speak English and their kid has to translate everything for them. Yeah, and has to learn a language that is not spoken at home and yeah. also maybe mm-hmm. like goes to school and um, t- like talks one way and is one way and then at home is another way. Like so many, like I didn't think of that parallel until this question yeah. either. But yeah. And, and also, I'm sure there's, oh, snitch go. No, say, and also just like having kids that live such a completely different life than they lived. Like, yeah, you know, like if you're an immigrant, if you're in a different country and you have, don't have like, as many opportunities that as your kids will have it's just like it's hard to even like what's like like relate to one another because you're just like living completely different lives and mm-hmm. to build on that i do feel like there's probably some identity crisis that goes on in that type of household because for children of immigrants who like grow up in a community and learn that community and like the way of life it's so different than what they when they come home, like what they experience and perhaps the parents look at that child and it's like, why are you behaving so differently than how we are or how you were raised? Like there could be some like divisiveness associated with that. And I imagine that it's could be a hard line to balance for certain children, like for February, like maybe not like internalizing the deaf community enough if she was like around her hearing friends. Yeah. I'm pretty like engrossing intro to this whole book when February shoved a pencil in her ear because she couldn't stand the noises and preferred the silence of her home. It was kind of a little heavy handed of like, okay, now the hearing person wants to be deaf. And like, it just felt a little forced, but I liked the anecdote. Yeah. I mean, sometimes like you do just like want to shut everyone out, you know? Yeah. It just felt so heavy handed. Yeah. Oh, okay. We are now going to illustrate why. (laughs) Yeah. I literally thought we were going to learn about, like, someone who became deaf from doing Same, that. Me too. Same, Same. I was like, shit. <laughs> yeah. Gruesome. <laughs> Me too. Next question. Why does February confide in Wanda over Mel about the closing of River Valley? Do you think this was a betrayal? I don't see it as so much a betrayal. Like, she should have told Mel before she had. Like, before, like, we learned that she did. But, like, their coworkers, Mel works with, or, um... Wanda works at the school. 
Like, she gets it. It's like, sometimes I will talk to my coworkers before I talk to my fiancé, and, like, I don't think that he is, like, so misunderstanding that and why I would. Yeah, I feel like February was misinterpreting her decisions as, oh, my God, maybe I actually am in love with Wanda because I told her this first. It's like, no, sometimes it's just easier to tell someone something when you don't live with them and don't have to bear the brunt of, like, all of their emotions and opinions, et cetera. Like, she was just misunderstanding why she was choosing Wanda in certain situations. Right, and I also think the fact that Wanda was deaf and, like, Wanda's perspective on the matter to her was going to be, like, more clarifying than Mel. Like, I think she just expected to get more out of that with Wanda but I think she was misinterpreting it as it like oh I want to talk to Wanda about it yeah where it's like no Wanda was actually a really good person to talk to about it because her take was pretty cut and dry right and I think that's what February like needed to hear and February knew that she needed to hear that right it's as simple as that it doesn't mean she should leave Mel not that she said that but like I hated how she was second guessing her relationship with Mel because like Wanda made her laugh when she was grieving her mom <laughs> yeah oh yeah it's like that's all it takes <laughs> Yeah. (laughs) February's curriculum and ASL are interspersed throughout the novel. Describe the effect this had on your reading experience. I thought it was fascinating and a really interesting way to just, like, diversify the novel and make it a different, like, different kind of book um, while helping us learn so much. Like, I feel like one of my favorite passages or takeaways from the book was hearing about Martha's Vineyard and, like, how Mm -hmm. it had, like, this wild deaf population and sort of just, like, how, like, a lot of people learned ASL just, like, to incorporate into their, their lives, especially, like, if there was, like, a large deaf population around them. Like, I just felt like I learned so much that wasn't central to the narrative taking place, but was just, like, FYI. More more factoids. Yeah. I really liked it. I felt like there it was dependent on what that the section was, like the ASL sections, the fingerspelling, the explaining like how you kind of gesticulate while you do ASL. I thought that was all so interesting and germane to the story as it progressed. But then there were other ones that were like the Wikipedia of like Robespierre and like oh, Anarchy. Yeah. I didn't yeah. love I, – I, I guess I just didn't love the ones that weren't centered on – deaf culture yeah and I did like at times feel like I was reading a textbook and not a fiction novel and I I'm not good at code switching I don't like change (laughs) so like I was kind of trying to stay in one genre and when it would switch on me I couldn't decide if I liked it or was annoyed yeah and it's like when she was doing like history not deaf history but just like history things like the Robespierre one it's like where did this come like what is the source here like It felt like Wikipedia, but I don't think she would actually cite Wikipedia. But it was like, is this a biased retelling of history? Like, I'm here for this book, not your take on Robespierre's intentions. Oh, great. She had anarchist vibes like this author is. I mean, for sure. (laughs) For sure. Um, I'm not going to lie. I didn't read them. That's so snitch. I skipped a few snitch. I I didn't read all of them. Here's the thing is that I fully understood her intention. Like, it's actually a great idea. She's like, hey, like, while I have you, why don't I, like, actually teach you something? But like Dana said, like, I can't do that. Like, I can't go from reading a book to reading a textbook. Like, it's – I also hated reading textbooks. Like, it gave me literal PTSD to school. So I was just like, "Mm, you know what? Not for me. 
I didn't love when she was would in those parts be like, now you try. I'm like, wait, am I reading? Like, <laughs> Oh, yeah. And she was like telling me about like what question. I was like, I didn't learn enough sign language here to be able to do. What <laughs> yes, yes, do. yes. It's like use what you've learned in previous chapters to fill out the answers at the end of the page. I'm like, wait, wait, yeah. wait don't give me don't give me jobs. <laughs> totally. And it's like and when she had those like thought provoking questions, even like about eugenics and um of some of like the gene um, stem cell treatments that they're like thinking about doing that would like be able to, I guess, eradicate deafness in utero. And then I was like, whoa, I, how am yes. I going to get back into the book right now? Yes. That's no, a big question you... and a really interesting question and a whole other book. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Did you read the wording of some of these questions though? Like they were so biased. It was like, talk to your partner about why these implants are the absolute worst thing possible. <laughs> why we should never introduce them into the medical field and why you think this is true. I was like, I think you just told me what to think. That's really funny and true. That's so funny. Well, now you try. Our last now DBQ, you try. in what ways did River Valley remind you of other schools in classic boarding school novels or movies? In what ways was it different? So Dana, our resident boarding school stan apparently, maybe that's why you love college so much. Oh, what well, came first? Did I love college? So now I love books about college, or did I love this environment always? And that's why I loved college. Oh my god, I actually don't know the answer. I'm leaning towards the first one, but I don't know. Yeah, I am too. <laughs> Same. I thought this was refreshingly similar to a lot of boarding school books. There was drama. There was love triangles. There was teacher conflicts. And on top of all of that, there was the deaf element. So it definitely stacked up nicely to how I usually like these books. For sure. I think one big difference, actually, is the fact that they saw their parents every weekend. And that oh, the yeah. parents were yeah. so, like, in their lives, which was a good thing and, and very nice. And I think, you know, I think at boarding school things get crazy because there are no parents. Yeah. Um, but just, you know, having to answer to your parents every weekend. Agreed. So was that because they lived nearby or, like, does every – are they meant to go home every weekend? I think because they live nearby, they are meant to go home every weekend. Got it. Because, like, I was like, wow, it's crazy to me that there is enough demand for a deaf school in this rural part of Ohio. Well, I think some people didn't live nearby and maybe they didn't go home every weekend because they said, like, they came from other counties and in certain cases other states. So those kids definitely didn't go home every weekend. But I guess at boarding school there are, like – there's a name for boarders who, like, don't live there full-time. Like, day, day students, students or something. Yeah. yeah. So, I guess they were all day students. You're right. That, like, actually kind of shifted the element because the whole allure of boarding school is to be completely independent. Yeah. But they, like, they were still tethered. Yeah, like, when Charlie's mom would, like, just show up. I'm like, lady, <laughs> this is boarding school. Go home. Yeah. <laughs> totally. Okay, now let's get into the redhead questions. We got a few great questions from our readers, and we look forward to dissecting them. One, after reading True Biz, if you had a child who was hard of hearing or deaf, would you consider implanting them shortly after birth or accept the fact that you should teach them to sign as their primary form of communication? I was always under the impression that cochlear implants were a life-changing tool and had never really thought about the risks or setbacks they can cause before reading this book. Ditto. I think Great question. I, I don't can't, have enough information. I, I was about to say that. I was like, I don't think I can answer this question without like fully learning the other side. <laughs> yeah. I feel like I lean towards the implanting if I'm being told that this could be a way for my child to hear. But like after reading this book, I 
agree. I can't make it. Well, opinion. I also think that you would also like be a normal person. And then it's like if you do implant it and then you find that it's not working for your child and also hurting your child, I think you'd be like, mm, well, this was a mistake. We should probably oh, take it out. for sure. But like the original decision sounds harder than I thought it would be before I read this book, mm-hmm. which would have been a yes. Yes. Agreed. And I think even though this book has its agenda, like if it if at the end of the day, it's just like prompting people to ask more questions about things that maybe we would have taken at face value I think that's a good thing yeah next this book was captivating and I couldn't put it down but the abrupt ending felt like a cop-out so many questions left unanswered did the explosion have an impact was Charlie forced to get implants again what happened between her slash and Austin what did you all think of the ending was it poetic to leave things unsaid or disappointing it was disappointing and like I do understand what she was saying by leaving it open-ended but it is a cop-out like give us like a little bit more like she didn't even give us like any information to even like infer something like I yeah, was agreed. so confused on the insurrection. Like, what happened? Yeah. No, I know. Who set it off? I, like, the thing is, by the time the book was wrapping up, I needed the book to be over. <laughs> so I didn't care that it didn't have an ending. And then when I was, like, talking about it with Snitch yesterday, she was like, so who set it off? I was like, oh, I guess I didn't even, like, think of it. Like, I didn't even. <laughs> but now when I think back on it, like, I do think it was the original crew. I think it was Austin, Elliot, Charlie, and Slash. But, like, February you just think... stopped them from doing it at that time because they were already, like, under big microscope. Oh, I never thought that they went back. I assumed that it was, like, Slash and Lamb Me and too, Ray. I thought they just, like, finished the work. I thought it was February. <laughs> no. It was definitely Slash and someone. But, like, why would Austin text Charlie Silence is Golden? Just because he didn't want to, like, have it come to light that they were involved Ever at involved. all. Yeah, I think it's like yeah. they did it for us. They pulled it off. Like, silence is golden. We we were never part of this. Maybe. But Charlie did something that made me think she was a part of it. I can't remember what. Oh. I was like, are you going to show? <laughs> no, I can't remember. Because at first I thought it was just Charlie and Slash and, the, and Lem and them. But then <laughs> I was like, but why did Austin send a text? He's a part of it. Hmm. Yeah, that part was really confusing to me. I could not follow their agenda. Yeah. I agree, though. It ended abruptly. I I understand the author's intention, but I feel like that was sort of, like, a, an excuse in some ways for, like, not tying up certain loose ends. Yeah, though, like, if the book did – if the school did close, like, that would make me so sad. I know. Yeah. Okay, next redhead question. What did you think of February as a character? I wanted to like her so much more, but couldn't get past how awful she was to Mel. Why do you think she shut Mel out? Why do you think she was a bad wife when she was so attentive to her mom and other relationships? Preach, redhead. I couldn't agree more. I know. Mel really was like the goat. She was so sympathetic about what Mel, what February was going through with her mom. She was like just such a loyal partner and patient. So it was deeply unfair. And I understood why she was annoyed that February didn't tell her that she had previously had a thing with Wanda. Like, that is kind of sketchy to omit. And I liked how Mel was like, don't gaslight me and make this seem like I'm making a big deal out of it when, like, it kind of is a big deal. Yeah, I agree. But I also just was, like, team February for stuff for no reason. Just because, like, she was the one we knew. And, like, like, Mel was, like, I don't know. Also- I disagree with you, Dana. I don't think she needed to tell her. I think it was a little weird that she left it out. And then when she couldn't respond to, like, why didn't you tell me, it felt weirder. And then, I don't know, like, all the other things that happened when Wanda came over and she, like, 
was like Wanda was here. I don't know. Something about it just like I felt for Mel. I felt like Mel was being a little gaslit. But I also felt like February was kind of like trying to introduce drama into her relationship. You know? Yeah. <laughs> That's kind of what I mean. Like I just also Mel would have been a great sounding board for the school stuff. Like she sounded very logical and helpful. I don't know why February was so anti-telling her also it's not even about telling her about the school stuff but like that's your house and you're about to lose your home like if a partner kept that from me and they knew it for longer than they shared with me like that's unacceptable 1000 percent okay nothing else the home the agreed agreed well those were the questions I feel like we really covered a lot of the meat of this book but obviously there were still so many more things um to chat about but I feel really good like we're really chugging along so with all that said what was the moral of the story I put advocate for yourself oh (laughs) snitch trust your gut okay (laughs) Rebecca I never put one down because I really felt like this book wasn't as I said like not plot driven it was really like about like learning facts but it it was giving me the vibe of like you know walk a mile in someone's shoes like you just don't know I I can't put it to words like you just don't know what other people are going through I like that I like them all (laughs) you guys I didn't I forgot to come up with a moral Okay, well, now it's time for the Hollywood treatment. So if this were a movie or a show, who would you cast? We'll do them three main characters. Now, with that said, I think that if this were to become a uh, show or a movie, they should and they would cast deaf actors. Mm -hmm. But I don't think all of us know, like, that many deaf actors. So we'll just go, like, based on looks. Like, they're just an idea of who should play. But um, these aren't actual recommendations. Yeah. So first we have Charlie. I really don't know that many like young actors and actresses anymore. Yeah. So Millie Bobby Brown. That's who I said. Wait, that's who I said too. Oh my god. Right. That's not what I all said. Know. She's the only one. She's yeah. the only no, one. No, you guys, she's half deaf. Oh. That's why I chose her. I didn't even she's know deaf that. She's in one ear. Oh wow. Okay, so she's yes. really the right girl for the job. That's so crazy because I was like trying to see if I could find deaf actors and actresses and like I was like okay she would actually work so like this is perfect that's so funny that we chose her and didn't even know that so I did, did Rowan pick? Blanchard oh that's good yeah yeah that's good Austin I didn't ha- I don't know I any- did Chris Briney Conrad from Summer I Turn Pretty oh good one good one oh that's good yeah I guess I could oh, have gone really to good. Summer I Turn Pretty um I have Victoria Justice as my non-deaf Charlie. Oh, okay, because we were talking about. Oh. <laughs> I know, I know. I just Victoria like, Justice is our age. But yeah, Victoria Justice is literally in her thirties. In her thirties. Listen, you, ladies, you can't help Rebecca, your vision. It's giving Dana. Yeah. <laughs> okay, I had for Austin. Um, I had Austin Butler. I think because huh. they share a name. You're really Dana. giving Dana. Okay, Dana. Okay, Dana. And Dana, I who had. Did you have? Jacob Tremblay. Good. Yeah, that's good. He's probably of age now, right? Probably. I always think of him in room. I I know, but I think he's like 16 now. Wow. Good job. Okay, and then February. I had no vision of February as I read the book. I have the perfect one. I literally have the perfect one. Me too. Too young. I have have similar vibes. Lena Dunham. (laughs) 
Yeah. Okay. I had Alex Borenstein. Okay. Now, she's a oh my god, Bundermeyer. Wait. Oh my god, that's who I was uh, thinking. And then I um, couldn't say <laughs> her name, and so I did Beauty Feldstein. Susie from Mrs. Maisel and a million other things. No, but, but she's Miss Ungermeyer. That's why. Yes, and Miss Ungermeyer. Yes. Okay, that's really not how I saw her, but I'll take it. No, that's how <laughs> I, I don't saw have her. anyone better. Okay, great. Okay, so that's the Hollywood treatment. I think this would actually make a very good. I say that about everything that we read. You don't have to say yeah. that, Jackie. Like I feel like you think you have to say that. Like you don't. No, no. I'm just trying to. I'm, I feel like it's a part where I say whether or not this would make a good movie, and I think it would make a good movie. Okay. <laughs> So fuck Except off, snitch. They need to. They need to like make more plot. The plot needs yes. to plot. Yeah, it needs more plot. Okay, overall rating for this book, Rebecca. Let's start with you. Four point two. Strong. Dana. Three point seven. Nice snitch. Three point three. Me four. Equals. 3.8. That seems Feels fair. right. That's a little low, ladies. <laughs> okay, well, you know what? To put it into context, it has tied with two other Redheads books, Hester and Run, Rose, Run. That's I feel not good about that. Mm-hmm. That, that does not feel right to me. No. I can't remember if we agreed on Hester or not. I liked it, but I can't remember what the group consensus was. I didn't mind reading it, but when I, I look back on it, it I'm like, deaky. I'm like, what the fuck was that? Freaky deaky. Yeah. I didn't mind reading it, but I wouldn't recommend to a friend. No. I I've literally would never recommend Like, I can't think of anyone who I would recommend that book to do. But um, it was fun. It was fun. We had a good time. I would recommend True Biz, though. I would recommend True Biz. Now it is time for the other books that we read this month. Snitch, you have anything? I do. I read, I finally read Happy Place. Took me actually maybe two months because I just like couldn't get into it. However, that um, book is everywhere. We need your official review on it. Like take your time. Let us know. No, it was decent. Like honestly, I have like some people like these tropes and I don't like when people don't communicate and it's like the answer is just like you just just talk to each other and like the whole book is like them avoiding a conversation that could just like make everything better and that was kind of like the trope of this book and I don't like that but some people do like that like I was talking to Kenzie Elizabeth about it and she like loved it so like I don't know it depends if you're into that sort of thing the idea of it is cute it's like all these friends always go to their this one friend summer house every single week of the summer and it's their happy place and they like have the best time but then like things are changing and like people are freaking out wait so it's about weekend warriors yeah, no it's literally about weekend warriors then I read the things we cannot say by Kelly Rimmer that, which if I is, had to come up with if AI had to come up with the title of a book that snitch would read that would be it. The things we cannot say. No, yep. it was. I feel like we read that. Wait, it was so <laughs> good, and it was Ooh. so sad. It's like basically about like a love story, like during the Holocaust, but it like goes back and forth between like present time and World War Two. And it's different than the one with the mailbox on the cover. Yeah. So basically, the reason why I read it is because I was obsessed with the one with the mailbox on the cover. But that, that was called Things We Leave Unfinished. The Things We Leave Unfinished. But the difference <laughs> is, is that that was just dur- like during some war. Like it wasn't World War Two. Like these were about like Jews, like Auschwitz, this, that, like that. It was very like in it. And but 
I had recommended that book, Things Weebs Unfinished, to everyone, and Emily, like, had read it and was like, if you liked this, like, this is trash. Like, you need to read the things we cannot say. So I did, and it was really, really good. I think I have an affinity for the first book because they are very similar. So, like, it was, you know, the first one is always better. But this was really good, and I cried like a baby. Like, it was so sad. Mm -hmm. So I think – I honestly think Dana, you would really like it. I can't read two books that are exactly the same with the they're same not. cover and the same they're, title, they're so not. I'll read the first one. They, no, no, no. <laughs> I think if you were to read between the two, I think you should read the second one. Like, I think if I read oh, the second okay. one first, I would have liked it better. But because right, I had snitch. already, you know. I'll do it for yeah. you. Yeah. And that's it. That's it. Okay, great. Bex? I read another book this month. It's been a while. I read Andy Cohen's The Daddy Diaries. It was so good. The year I grew up obsessed i loved all of his books it was a blessing oh fun and that's a fun one claudia read that too and she really liked it yeah dana um per jack's recommendation i read both the housemaid and the housemaid secret the sequel by frida mcfadden it was such a necessary palate cleanser quick read kept my interest the whole time really riveting i gave both a 3.4 then for Becky's recommendation, I read The Book of Form and Empty- Emptiness, which was potentially a Redhead's Choice at one point, which I don't think would have been for our fans, but I liked it. It was a little out there. Like, even for me, I couldn't follow it as intensely as I could other things. But overall, good book. Gave it a 3.2. Um, and then lastly, I read The Whispers by Ashley Audrain, who is the author of The Push, which was like my favorite book ever last year. This was not as good. Um it wasn't as dark. It was like kind of neighborhood gossipy. So you guys might like it. Snitch, Ooh, it reminded me good. of that. Yeah, that one you loved that I couldn't really stand with. They're all like spying on, on the neighbors. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it was like disappointing relative to the push, but overall a fine book. I gave it a 3.5. Great. I read nine books this month because oh my God. it was more than That's a month insane. that we had in between. A lot of them were like Frida McFadden, like really quickies. And I've been on bed rest, so I've just been like plowing through reading because no TV shows have been doing it for me. Okay, so in chronological order, I read The Housemaid and The Housemaid's Secret, like Dana said. Those were my first Frida McFadden books I'd ever read. I read each of them in a day. I had been seeing The Housemaid everywhere, and I assumed it was probably good, and I eventually was just like, you know what, I want to stop seeing it all the time like recommended to me so I want to knock it off the list and it was so good and it definitely got me into Frida McFadden I think she's a really great writer she does great like twists for thrillers but also the pace of her writing is just like really quick and makes it so conducive to read a book in a day if you have a lot of time on your hands which I currently do so I loved both of them I rated them each a five I actually felt in a lot of ways the sequel was even stronger than the first book in no ways was it like worse than the first book obviously the first book is always the best because you're introduced to the characters and everything but the sequel had like more twists and was even more thought out I thought and more surprising to me I never guessed the twist so loved both of them would recommend if you're looking for a quick thriller then I read My Summer Darlings by Mae Cobb she wrote The Hunting Wives which is a book that Claudia really loved I really liked and I also just like her style of writing about just like bored drunk housewives but this book kind of like took things to a new dumb level and it was incredibly dumb like the plot was just unbelievable and the characters were not to be believed 
And ultimately, I couldn't believe any of it, and I didn't really love it, so I gave it a three. Then I read The Guest by Emma Klein, which was strongly recommended by Dana. She read it last month, and she said that she thought I would like it. I was nervous to read a Dana's Choice, especially after reading such like light fare, but I actually really liked this book. It reminded me of My Year of Re- Rest and Relaxation by Otessa Moshfe. It's like kind of a book that has no point but it's just like an interesting nutty protagonist and a story like that's going nowhere but you're not really like concerned about the plot you're mostly concerned for the main character and it's really well written and kind of written in a funny way so I would recommend this for people who like kind of weird quirky books that don't go anywhere that are well written and funny and center around like Uh, an unbelievable character and like truly not to be believed so I gave that four stars then I read The Senator's Wife by Liv Constantine she wrote uh, The Last Mrs. Parrish which everyone loves I never read it but I have read some other books by her and this one is her new one so I thought it would be good and I didn't love it the plot itself like was kind of like making my stomach turn I don't want to spoil anything but it was just like if you read it, like, I just didn't like the, the, um, what's it called? The premise. Like, I, I don't want to spoil it, but it just wasn't for me. Three stars. Then I decided to totally switch gears because I'd been hearing amazing things about Minka Kelly's memoir, Tell Me Everything. And I was like, you know what? I could go for a celeb memoir. I've heard so many amazing things. And it was that good. I gave it five stars. So well written. Her story is I keep using this word, but it's, it, this story is actually unbelievable. It focuses more on her childhood and her upbringing and just the um, her life story is so fascinating and not at all what you would expect from her because we all know her as like Lila Garrity and she just is so much more than that. So I loved the book. It was so well written. There were so many interesting lessons along the way. Then switching gears again, I wanted to get back to my historical fiction roots because I think it was because Claudia was reading a historical fiction book and she was loving it. And I was like, damn, I want to go back there. Plus, I earlier, when was this? Like six months ago in December, I wanted to read about Winston Churchill's mother. And then so I was reading like a nonfiction book, which I couldn't get through. But a historical fiction version of her story had come out. It's called That Churchill Woman by Stephanie Barron. And I was excited to read it just to like get to know um, Mrs. Churchill and do it in a way that would be easy and you know what like it reminded me why I've kind of been off of historical fiction like I actually I actually I feel like this book was lacking in more ways than I usually think because usually it's like I don't like all the fictitiousness of historical fiction but this book like just centered around a time in her life and it was also just like centered around one man in particular and how her story related to him and I just feel like Her story was so much more than that. I still don't even feel like I really know her life story. So that was kind of frustrating. And I just like didn't love the book, honestly. Then I was like, you know what? Let's go back to what we know. Frida McFadden. I read Never Lie because Claudia read it. She said it was so spooky and so good and she loved it so much. So then I read it and I didn't love it as much as The Housemaid, but I still thought it was really good. Did not see the twist coming. Like totally thought I knew what the twist would be. Um, but I never do and Frida just is so twisty she's twistier than the usuals so I really like this book I gave it four stars and I think I read it in a day or two so just another Frida slay 
And then the last book I read was A Fatal Affair by A.R. Torrey. A.R. Torrey is an author who's written one of my favorite thrillers called Every Last Secret. So I saw she had a new book out, the premise. I didn't read too much into it, but it was just like about a Hollywood murder mystery. I was like, sounds great. I loved this book. I felt like the premise was really good. It went in a few directions that I wasn't expecting, but that I enjoyed. And I was riveted the whole way through so I gave it five stars and I would recommend it so those are all the books that I read this month it was crazy month for me but yeah oh my god wow can you please make a carousel on the redheads instagram so we can I've all been, digest it yes I've been waiting to do it until we record this episode I wish I read 10 books so that I could do all 10 slides do your book oh I'll do my book or I'll just put in one that I read like seven weeks ago yeah you know it's okay nobody, because I haven't done I haven't done a book dump in a while. So that is a wrap on this week's episode. Before I let you go, what are we reading next, Dana? We are reading I Could Live Here Forever by Hannah Halperin. Is she related to Emily Halperin? (laughs) (laughs) Snidge, you're going to have to get confirmation on that one. I really think that if like Halperin's had an author family member, like I would know. So I'm just going to go out on a limb here and say no. Dana, how did you come to this decision you know I cannot remember who recommended it to me but since they did it's been on my kindle I just haven't read it and I was googling it and had good reviews and a few other people were like posting about it on some book things I follow so I just you know I went for it without learning too much because I hate when that happens I hate when that happens too okay I'm excited for a Dana's choice so Dana, you did not use Google's Bard AI tool. <laughs> no, but if you're listening and you're the one who originally recommended it to me, please come forward because I don't know the life for me how it got onto my Kindle. Oh, great. Yeah, and I hope that you stick by that recommendation because now we're all reading it. So I look forward to seeing you girlies in August. I hope everyone has a great month. Thank you to my wonderful co-hosts for joining this episode and all the other ones that have preceded it thank you to rebecca for this great book choice thank you to ai for you know doing your ai thing and thank you to all of our listeners who read along with us or don't read the book and just listen along it's all the same to us we love you bye